TLR. Wonderful to be with you guys. I'm actually happy. I thought I thought all oh, Thanksgiving weekend there'll be about five people here once everybody goes upstairs to take care of the kids. So it's nice to see that there's more than ten. <laughs> it's great to be with you guys. Hope you had a good holiday, Thanksgiving. Um, hmm. My slides are out of order. So this is the first Sunday in Advent, which um, makes me think of my Catholic youth very much. Um, church season. So it's, it's the beginning of the church liturgical year. And, um, and we begin the season of Advent looking at prophecies about the Messiah. Today we'll be looking at um, an Old Testament scripture from Jeremiah chapter 33 and a New Testament scripture in Matthew 16. Um, this was for Jonas. There we go. Um, in my... In my time looking into Advent, I was reminded of something that I've kind of lost touch with, and that is that Advent was truly um, began by early church fathers to be a time um, where we refocus uh, our perspective on the second coming of Christ. So my big picture here during the season of Advent and as we approach Christmas is that we're not celebrating, just celebrating that it came that we are waiting for him to return, that we are preparing for his second coming. I'm gonna hold off on that. I think a lot of times I, um, I, don't, I don't dabble too much in second coming prophecies because it's, um, it's so overwhelmed with silliness and weirdness and with, uh, with fire and brimstone preaching that I tend to just kind of stay away from even trying to understand uh, second coming prophecies. Um, but what we'll see in our scriptures that we have today is that the disciples were, were very much, they, they had studied the old scripture so much that they really understood the, um, the prophecies about the first advent of Jesus that when he came and was among them, they recognized him. Now, I can't think about Advent without basically just thinking about um, what typically happens in the U.S. between Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day and how we spend those uh, 24 days or so, uh, what we do in preparation of Christmas. Uh, and so I started this out. Actually, I was sit we were sitting, Ben and I were sitting by the wood stove, and I was just sort of trying to find my feet on what I would talk about today. And I, I asked him this question. Uh, I said, if Jesus returned now, how would he respond to our Christmas time? Would he knock over Christmas trees like the merchant's tables in the temple? Or would he replenish the eggnog when we run out, like the wine at the wedding in Canaan? I wonder, do our Advent seasons and Christmas time celebrations, do they truly honor who they say they are celebrating? So this is where, these are the questions I was asking myself in the beginning. I have to be honest, I thought, oh, I should not be teaching a Christmas time service or a Christmas time anything, an Advent anything, because I have such a disenchanted uh, perspective of Christmas. Um, as soon as the holidays start, I feel, I've talked about this time before, I feel like that picture in the cat, the cat in the hat. Now, the cat in the hat was pretty, he, he, he thought he could hold all that stuff up. 
you know, and he was happy about it. And I feel like the cat in the hat trying to hold all that stuff up of feeling like I'm being crushed. And, and holiday, holiday times feel like all that normal stuff that I'm trying to hold up um, is then uh, extra stuff's piled on top of that. All the baking and the present buying and the expectations of family to be at every event and to... So I, I kind of dread, I dread the holidays a little bit just because of uh, what I feel like are unattainable expectations of other people. Um, now, as a child, I loved Christmas. I spent all year excited about Christmas. It was, to me, I built it up to be this thing that it could never be. And um, by the time I was a young adult, I, I started to realize that Christmas, uh, as the, the Christmas that I was celebrating was, was, was a, a shallow pool, and it, it never satisfied. So that's all to say, I'm trying very hard to find a new perspective this year. Because just because the world distorts something doesn't mean that it's evil. I think sometimes I think we just shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's so hard to celebrate it in a way that would honor Jesus. But we do all kinds of things that Jesus didn't like. And some people say, well, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because Jesus never said, uh, I want you to celebrate my birth every year. But he also didn't say get together every Sunday morning. And he didn't say lots of things that the church do. And lots of things that the church managed to distort, do and distort. So just because he didn't say celebrate Christmas doesn't mean that he would be offended by a celebration of Christmas if it truly honored him. So I'm trying to find a new perspective. I did, uh, I grew up, um, my mom's side of the family, several of my, my aunts um, converted to Jehovah's Witness, and I think I've said this before. And so we never got together with that side of the family on any holidays because they don't celebrate holidays. Um, and so from an early on, early in my life, I did, I saw people not celebrating Christmas because they didn't think that it honored God. And so that's, that's been a little seed in my mind since I was young. Oh, this is like, I, I've got this Advent up here and I decided to like talk about really what Advent means. Um, and this, the, the way I've done this makes me think of like a high school paper, like start off with a definition as an intro. <laughs> That was like my go-to. Oh, word and definition. Now I'm now I'm on track. So, all right. Advent is used in a lot of different ways. So I just thought I'd talk about it real quick. It's it's a noun, and it can be used in in normal language just as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or an event. You'll hear it in history. The advent of whatever, or whomever. Um, but in church circles, uh, it's. A lot of times referring to this season right now, um, the first Sunday in Advent until Christmas time. Uh, yep, the four preceding Sundays, I suppose. Sometimes it starts in, think, er, in um, November, depending on how the Sundays fall. Uh, in Christian theology, it, is, it means literally the coming, uh, the first coming or the second coming of Christ. It's the coming of Christ to earth. That is the Advent. So... You'll hear it used in different ways, and so it's good to know that um, there's kind of different facets of the word. We were sitting down to dinner the other night, and I was still trying to find my feet on this teaching, so I, I was just trying to get a sense from the kids what they thought of 
when I uh, when they heard the word Advent. So I asked them, um, and they kind of just mumbled, like, well, I don't, I don't know, put up that calendar, um, <laughs> almost Christmas. <laughs> and then, actually, uh, Ben is the one that said this. <laughs> Countdown to Christmas blast off. And then that got the kids excited. They were like, Lewis was like, yeah, like we're riding a rocket taking us to Christmas land. <laughs> right? This is what happened. I said, Lewis, what's in Christmas land? What do you guys think he said? Presents! <laughs> Then I thought, little heathen worldlings. <laughs> but why shouldn't they say this? Why shouldn't they believe this? I mean, this is what we have nurtured. And they're little kids. And we nurture that um, abundance of material gifts on Christmas morning. And they look forward to it. I looked forward to it as a kid. It's not evil in and of itself, but it does not necessarily nurture the true abundance that we want to give our kids and the understanding of what true life and abundance is. So I told you we're going to look a little bit um, into some Old Testament scripture. I've got down here that that's Matthew, but that's not. Uh, that's notes that I didn't um, erase. This is Jeremiah 33, um, verses 14 through 18, and I'll read them for you. There are many, there are many um, Old Testament prophecies, uh, uh, Messianic prophecies, um, and Isaiah, I think, first. In Isaiah's time, uh, Israel was under the threat of Syria. During Jeremiah's time, they're very much under the threat of um, the Babylonians, and uh, they will be overthrown and exiled by the Babylonians um, soon after this prophecy is given. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem, Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. <laughs> which A will be called? That's odd. He will be called, it seems like. The Lord, our righteous Savior. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor would the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. So, um, not to assume that you guys understand this scripture, this, this prophecy, this, this righteous branch from David's line speaks specifically of Jesus. This is out of Matthew, um, chapter 16, and Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them, uh, he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
I um I think I was a, a, a little um, convicted in the fact that I do avoid um, second coming prophecies. Although once I got into the second prophecies, I realized that Jesus makes it clear that like it'll be obvious. If there is, you know, some guy out on the streets kind of saying, I'm Jesus, he says, don't believe him. When I come back again, you will know. It will be like lightning. You will see it. So, so to some degree, maybe we think, well, you know, we kind of have an out on understanding the second coming prophecies because he said it's going to be obvious. It's going to make it easy for us. But at the same time, we may lose perspective on the fact that he is coming again if we don't read the scriptures and we don't remind ourselves. And we don't remind ourselves that the time we are living in right now is the age between the first coming and the second coming. And just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' first coming, Jesus has left with us his light and his love to bring about the kingdom here and prepare the way for his second coming. Um... I was reading, I, I've got some notes up here for myself that I never got rid of, so I'm going to tell you the story about the daughter coming home from college. Um, I was reading a, a short sermon on um, Christmas time and Advent time, and a preacher told this story. He said, um, focusing on the first coming of Jesus during Advent and Christmas time and uh, spending our time preparing uh, for the nativity is, is akin to... Um, when our, and I'm telling this from his perspective, when our first daughter came home from college the first year, he said we'd moved during that year to a new home. And we had sold all, um, all of the old things we didn't need anymore and we were making a new home and she was gonna come home to this new house of ours that she'd never been to. She said, he said, if we're preparing for her coming, like we prepared for her first coming, we'd put a cradle in her room and we'd buy a changing table and stuff it full of diapers and we'd have our burp claws and all the things that we got for her to prepare for her first coming. <laughs> if that is the way we prepared for her first coming, would we be ready for her to come home from college? <laughs> That's silly. That's silliness. You know, they, they got a bed that would fit her and they bought the food that she would like and then they, they prepared for her second coming. It's, it's, in a, it, so he, 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 he tried to make this, um, this connection to help us understand that during Advent, oh, we shouldn't focus so much on, on the first coming, or at least not the entire time. Obviously, we celebrate that he came, the huge gift that it was that he came the first time, but he said he's going to come again. So I actually need some help on this, um, on the readings of these scriptures. So if you are willing, is somebody willing to find Hebrews 9.28 for me? Thank you. Anybody willing to find Titus 2.11-13? Thank you. James? Michael James? 5-7? You guys got it? Okay. First uh, Thessalonians? Herb's got it? It's my, it's my Bluetooth on. I don't even know where a pony is, Herb. <laughs> But my Bluetooth on my computer might be on, but somebody's on Bluetooth. Anybody on the Bluetooth? Is this going to go up and say, y'all don't watch me fumble through my Bluetooth? No? Ah, it's hidden. (laughs) 
definitely connected. All right, is anybody, you got First Thessalonians. Can someone get Matthew 24? I can. Find a Bible, Matthew chapter 24. You got the longest one, kid. <laughs> All right, nice and loud. We are going to just read some scriptures that speak about the second coming so we can be reminded about what the scriptures say. So whoever's uh, volunteered for Hebrews 9, 28, can you read that nice and loud? So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Whoever volunteered for Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. James. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Are you going to get first Thessalonians? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have yeah, first believers who have died will rise from the graves, yet together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with him, the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Okay. No one knows about that day or hour. Not. No one knows about that day or. 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 Hour. You're right. You got hour. Hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in. The days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking merry, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah. Um, entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away that is how it will be at the coming of the son of man two men will be in the field one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and one and the other left. Therefore keep watch because you do not know know what day your Lord will come. That's good. But That's good. You can stop there. 
I still haven't gotten to 34. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's more there? Okay. Yes. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at that time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his horse be horse be broken house. into. He would not let his house be broken into. Oh, okay. That's right. Good. Thank you, guys. I think it is just good to read these, to remind ourselves. It has been so long since he left, or it feels long to us. Scriptures talk about how a day is a, as 2,000 years and 2,000 years is a day to, to God. The, the, the time is not the same. But we, um, we can become sort of just, uh, I guess, not alert, not awake, and not thinking on these things that Jesus may truly come back. We see the signs on the side of the road. Well, they, they used to say Jesus is coming. Now they say if he, wa- if he ever was, then he still is or something like that. They've changed sort of their slogan. The road signs. But, you know, we kind of... Uh, I don't maybe take this as serious... Well, no, I don't take this nearly as seriously as it's, as it's meant to be taken by us. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears a little bit because during the holidays, um, I have been listening, trying to listen to things that parents say as they're preparing for Christmas and sort of the, the pitfalls that we find ourselves in. So... I wrote this, this is kind of a culmination of things that I've heard people say. And it's just like, I want to give, and we're talking about my children, I want to give them more than we can really afford. I want to give them what I never had. I don't want them to want for anything. I don't want them to be disappointed on Christmas. Just one day a year, I want them to have everything they want. We want to give them abundance. And it's out of our love for them. We want to give them abundance. We want that Christmas tree to be piled up. We want their eyes to sparkle in the morning with abundance. It's a pitfall we fall into. But every year, after Christmas, this is what I hear. They just opened one and threw it to the side and went on to the next. They didn't give a rip about most of the presents. They played with the box. They got so much, and they didn't even act grateful. And I don't know where we're going to put all this stuff. I mean, their rooms are already overflowing. Let's see. I'm going to go back to this. Do you guys find yourself here a little bit? I think the one thing that um, I remember as a child, I have this, I have a very uh, distinct memory of, we would drive up to Franklin, which was like a two hour drive from the farm. Drive up to Franklin to my grandma's, and we'd have a Christmas party there after Christmas morning. So we spent a lot of time in the car, and then we would leave there, and I'd be so tired, and it would be nighttime. And I would just look at the Christmas lights as we drove home in the dark from Franklin back to the farm. And um, I can remember distinctly saying, 365 more days till the next Christmas. 
and being so distraught over that. It was like I had looked forward to Christmas so much and Christmas had came and Christmas was over. And there was no more joy to be had until next Christmas. I mean, we're just going back to normal life. The abundance is gone. Didn't matter the fact that I still had all those presents waiting at home that I hadn't even gotten to play with. It was like I built Christmas up to some kind of thing that was going to sustain me, that was going to lift me up high and just keep me up there. But it never did. And uh, sometimes I know that I have seen in children and my own children and myself this, this sort of like, gosh, I got them so much and they really don't seem grateful. Like I have to remind them to say thank you. Even and especially when we go to other people's houses and they get gifts and it's kind of rip them open with them. We expect them to be thankful. Um, and, and they should be. They should say thank you. I'm not saying that. But we expect this abundance to fulfill them in a way that, a, that material abundance doesn't fulfill us and won't, will never fulfill them. And so my new perspective that I'm trying to get to, I think, is that, gosh, we love our children and we do want to give them abundance. We can't give them what we don't have when it comes to an understanding of what true life is and where we get true life. And when we revert back to uh, trying to find our life in the world and trying to find life for our children in, in worldly things, it will always be unsatisfying. And so I'm not trying to have a Debbie Downer talk about Christmas time at all, in fact, and I don't want to make you sad about what you feel maybe a little guilty about. It's the fact that Christmas can truly be abundant if we fill it with the truth and the real life. The promise that God will come back again. The incredible gift that he came the first time and give us, gives us true life. The incredible job that he's given us to light, to shine his light while he's gone in this age. There is a scripture that I that I um, read a couple years ago and um, soothed some of my anxiety about parenting. And it was the one about the sower where um, Jesus talks about, um, uh, you know, someone threw, threw seed down on rock. You know, and it, it sprung up, but then it, it couldn't have deep roots. And it, it's, and, he, and he sowed seed, and it came up among weeds, and it was squashed out. Um, there's one other, a missing one. Um, and then he sewed it on. It, does anybody know what I'm not remembering? Birds came, and Birds. Birds. Birds came and snatched it away. And then there's the ends with it was sown on fertile ground, where the truth could take root and bear fruit. And I thought, now that is something that that is a perspective I can take on my children that I don't need to take the truth and jam it into them and to make it stay <laughs> producing in them a character of fertility a fertile ground so that when they hear the truth it can take root so during the Christmas time I think about our children and the way that we want to, and, and I am focusing a lot on kids. So those of you who don't have kids, I hope that you can take this um, in ways that even to see for yourself. Um, to nourish ourselves in the good things 
that Jesus taught us and the truth about his love so that we can be fertile ground, that our kids can be fertile ground, so that they can have an abundant life of fruitfulness. When uh, I, I, I come from an agricultural background, my parents are farmers and they're organic farmers, um, so they do a lot of um, permaculture and sustainable farming stuff where the focus is not the plants really at all. The focus is the ground, making the ground biodiverse and rich and full of minerals so that when something is planted, it flourishes just because where it is, what it's planted in, allows it to be strong and disease resistant and grow and be fruitful. And so I think about our children sometimes and, and that in, um, in uh, juxtaposed towards, uh, to, with um, uh, modern agricultural agriculture, which plants plants in ground that has no topsoil at all. And um, we poke the seeds in and we pour it, chemicals over it and then we dump fertilizer on it and it's all, it's, that, that seed is completely dependent on uh, what's dumped on top of it in the moment in that year. And if that stuff gets washed away, then it, 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 it's, it's left to wither. And so when, when we try to nourish our children with uh, things of this world, to me, I, I liken it to dumping um, chemical fertilizer on plants. <laughs> And then when we dump chemical fertilizer all over plants, the, the, the food that it does produce is, is tainted with the toxicity of what it was nourished with. So I know you want to give your kids abundance, and so do I. And I want to celebrate Christmas and be with family, and there's so many good things about Christmas. But there are so many things about Christmas that are tainted with the world and the lies that the world gives you that, that we can find life in worldly things. So... That is all I have for you guys today. I don't know what time it is. Um, perfect. Uh, so I'll give you a moment. If, 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 does anybody have a, something that's come to their mind or a struggle that they're having during this Christmas time that uh, you want to talk about? Kim? So we, my family was all here this weekend, and we just had a conversation with my mom this morning. My mom is not a believer, so I grew up, it was all about Santa. One of my sisters and I are kind of leaning towards not even discussing Santa. <laughs> like, just not even, I don't know, we're not that extreme, but my mom heard my nephew say this weekend that Santa wasn't real, and he said it in front of the younger cousins, and my mom was just appalled and said that he was ruining Christmas for his younger siblings and cousins. And I don't know, that just, I don't even know how to, we haven't really talked about it, but it's just like, to her, she gets so, she's, every year growing up, I remember she would get so stressed out, we never had enough money for her to do what she wanted to do for Christmas, and I always felt that stress as a kid, so I think that's why I kind of want to not even, I don't want it to be about gifts at all, so I think that's the struggle is how to switch that, like, my mom is going to do whatever she wants to do, regardless of what I say our wishes are. So it's just kind of like, you know, she already tells Clara about Santa. So my thing is, is like, we're not going to give her big gifts. So eventually she's going to go to school and other kids that she goes to 
you know, and culture is so, so loud. We don't have television because I, I, I really didn't want our kids exposed to uh, so much commercialism. And I wanted to really be able to choose what kind of things influence them. And we've been never done Santa Claus. Not that I've like banished Santa Claus from our house, like they're allowed to say the word, but you know, we've never been like Santa's the one that brings your presents. But this past couple weeks, Lewis has been making cards and they are covered in Santa Claus pictures. That is all he is drawing. No, culture is so loud. Um, and, and, and so you, we can't hide our kids from it. Um, but, and also, I mean, scripture makes it so obvious that if we go the way of Christ, if we choose true life and we die to the world, we will be hated for it. People will act like we are stupid and that we are offensive or ruining our kids childhoods yeah yes i mean if people are telling you what you're doing how you're doing christmas is wrong and you're choosing a, a way that's that that is uh, steeped in the hope of christ then you're probably on the right track my kids from very early age people would say are you excited for santa and they'd say santa's not real and people were appalled and other people will get really mad at you if your kid's out Santa. But You said about it ruins Christmas for your kids. And it's like, I remember when my mom told me that Santa wasn't real, and I was devastated. It's like, why did you lie to me about this whole thing? And, I mean, it, and it really can really, it kind of set off kind of a claim for me anyway. It's like, maybe most kids can blow it off. It's like, I can't believe you lied to me about this. But, but the parents like it and the grandparents were because it's fun for them. You know, it's not really for the kids. It's, it's for the adult doing it to make it more fun. Well, that's, and that's, my, that's where my mom is because I've told her that she could get, like, a kids' commons membership or something for the kids. And she says no because that's not fun to open. Like, she wants something, like an, an object for them to open. So. She can buy me stuff. She wants this, this plus I don't know where we're going to put all this stuff. The rooms are already overflowing. That's that's us only after uh, having the Christmas with her side of the family with all the aunts and grandmother are buying lots of gifts for everybody. And we try we try not to buy much, but then they still end up with lots of stuff. And then we didn't do Santa Claus, and our kids are still mad at us about it. <laughs> Jason, okay, Savannah feels like she missed out. No. <laughs> but we also, we're they just cynical about everything. <laughs> 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 but they also knew they were. came in this saying, I am not going to tell people what not to do on Christmas time. I mean, that's for each family. But I think that just remembering that there is really true abundance in the coming of Christ the first time, and true abundance in our expectation for the second coming of Christ. And if we focus ourselves, and if we study ourselves, and we get our own selves in a good perspective about what the abundance is, 
truly is, where it truly comes from, then we can share that with our kids. If we don't, if we, if we, if we're not making our own selves rich ground, and we're not filling our own self with truth, and we can't share that with our kids. Zella, did you have something you want to share about Christmas time? Did you say 22 grandkids? Two grandkids. You know, it hurt me really bad because I always fought with every one of them. My family's grown so much. You know, I, I, I got a lot of evidence. I, I guess I'm just going to have to sit in the car and tell them, well, what I think they're going. How much important in my life? Share, share your love with them. That's right. Most grandkids just. Just one another left. Yeah. All right. We um. Let's see what I. I think I've already said this, but I wanted you guys to remember, and and if if you remember something today, it's just that to remember in this Advent season, we are not just spending our time preparing for Christmas Day, right? That we are in an Advent season, an age between the first coming and the second coming. Jesus came into the world the first time. He brought his light with us, and he left it with us. And it's our job to share that light, to carry that light, to be that light now. From now, from the time he came, the time it was given to us until he comes again. And we don't know when. might come today. <laughs> so be alert, stay awake, because he is coming. We'll share... Uh, communion together. This is actually something that Jesus told us to do. And on the Last Supper, he broke bread and he shared it with the disciples. He let them know that his body would be broken for us. And he passed the cup. This would be in symbolization of the blood that spilled for us. The, the most amazing gift we will ever receive, his unsurpassable love and our marriage into God's family through him. There's nothing else in the world that compares to it. We should freak out over it. There's nothing bigger than this. He invites us to do this in remembrance of him. So I'll break bread, and you guys are invited to share that supper with him. One, two, three, four. Mm-hmm.